I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, so many people. Uh, the two singers on the stage, Ian and Amber, both live in Washington. And uh, Amber's apartment, she lived on Eagle Avenue, is gone. And uh, she's living somewhere else. Ian, I called him on Thursday because I was looking over the, finally looking by Thursday, thinking about the weekend. It's the first time I even thought about this weekend. And uh, called Ian, and uh, his house has, uh, he lives right behind the pool over uh, in uh, uh, Devonshire area. And uh, his windows are blown out. It's got some roof damage, holes in the roof, few, few little things like that. Uh, still has a house, though. And uh, so when I called him, I said, Ian, I said, dude, uh, uh, you're going to be all right for this weekend. I said, I, first of all, can I help you? I talked about that first. And he said, you know, oh, yeah, I had 25 guys from all, the work come over, works at Ufstream. And uh, he came, they came over and fixed everything, got it kind of uh, battened down and everything. And then he, his first comment, so I said, how you doing? And he's going, I'm doing great. And I'm going, really? That's the first time I heard that this week. He said, well, you can either determine if you're going to, you know, it's really your attitude about everything. And he said, I trust God in this, and he's going to be fine. So I appreciate the band being here. I appreciate, uh, as Nate's out of town uh, this weekend, and, and his house was fine. He lives across uh, on 24, so he wasn't even touched. Dan, our children's pastor, his house had some damage. He's only a half a block from total devastation. Um, I think there's 12 families in our church that were directly affected by this. Some couple that lost their homes totally two or three, and several that have damages that will be out for weeks and months. So we want to remember them. But I don't know about you, but my, this week has been turned around totally because I had planned to finish the series, uh, I think it was called Because of You. I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, but it's not what I'm going to be talking about this morning because I'm thinking it was talking about the future and investing in the future and stuff. It's going to be done in, the, I'm going to preach that in January, okay? Um, but today I was, I was praying about and thinking about actually after a week of uh, trying to encourage people and whatever uh, and trying to do ministry with people all over the place, I was thinking about what can I share today. And so I really didn't know what I was going to share today till 10 o'clock on Friday night. Um, that's the first time I really have any kind of direction. First time I actually had a chance to think about it, really. And uh, so this week, um, for those of you who are not here, last week, last week, a second service, we spent 15 minutes singing and then we spent the rest of the time in the bathroom. Uh, literally, because uh, that's our storm shelters. And so 30 minutes in the storm shelter, we came out, and then people started getting texts and calls about the people who live in Washington about homes being destroyed and stuff. And since then, it's everything's been chaotic. And, and I don't know if you guys uh, have been over to Washington. Uh, sometimes it's been hard to get in and out. I've been over three or four times this week helping people. I was over Sunday, Tuesday. I can't remember what days I was over. I was over several times this week. But, I, you know, the thing is, is that uh, I've encountered people along the way, many who have lost everything, others who are thankful that they still have a house standing. But uh, uh, the thing is, folks, I want to share with you something right now. I've been amazed at how many people have called it and how many people want to volunteer and how many people want to do stuff. But let me explain something to you. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And people need help now, but they're going to need help next week, next month, maybe next year. Because this is a marathon, and if you get if you haven't been over there, if you get a chance to go, be expected. The pictures do not do it justice. To stand and see the devastation that that a tornado can do is beyond belief, beyond belief. And um, so, um, I'm thankful for the people that are excited about doing stuff right now. Just be excited about it about a month from now, okay? 
because we're going to need people to volunteer and help for a long period of time. And it's different levels. And right now, some people are frustrated because they want to volunteer and they can't. You'll, hit, you'll get your chance, chance to do that. There's all kinds of opportunities at all the distribution centers. They can use volunteers right now. All the distribution centers in Sunnyland, in East Peoria Convention Center. I think we just set one up over here at Jubilee. I mean, there's, there's going to be, you know, all kinds of We've got a whole room full of stuff over here that was sent from somewhere. We don't know where it sh- came from. It just showed up. Well, actually, we didn't know where it came from. But uh, one of the college students that goes to our church said, hey, I've got some stuff. I'm going to bring it. Can we bring it down and store it? And Chris said, sure. The whole room's full over there. And that's after you guys donated stuff on uh, Monday and Tuesday, which filled up the room which we took to a distribution center. And I was around the distribution centers all over the place yesterday asking them how, what can do. Volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. Okay? So Sunnyland, Plaza, East Peoria Convention Center, Jubilee. I don't know all the hours for all these places, but you can connect, and we'll let you know online as soon as we can. Uh, there's opportunities. Uh, today, this afternoon, uh, they are letting some volunteer in, in over in Washington, but you sometimes have to have access to somebody and have somebody invite you. So there are, I don't know if they're still doing checkpoints, but they were yesterday. They were last night. And so you have to have access and let somebody actually sometimes escort you in. So I'll just let you know if that's a frustration for some people. But it's all right because after you've been in there and see 5 million people trying to get down those streets and trying to do it, you understand why they're limiting people in there. And so then the next day, I think Monday and Tuesday's chip, is that right? They're going to kind of shut it down again to clean up stuff? They've been doing that at night. Oh, at night. Okay. 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 Anyway, just kind of check. Uh, there is a, a website you can check everything. Illinois, Central Illinois Disaster Relief is, I think, it's called the website, and it has updated stuff on it all the time. We'll link you to that as well on our on our church website if you don't have that already. So uh, that's been the most accurate website I found as far as updated stuff. The Washington City and all and Pekin and different places have put stuff on there. So anyway. Let you know what's going on there. Okay. This week, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. Yeah, I do know. Uh, uh, I didn't know on fr- Thursday, and so you didn't have, a, on Thursday, you didn't have a bulletin outline. This morning, you do, because I printed it this morning and stuffed it myself, because I decided, I said, you guys need these notes, so at least some, some semblance of, of organization in this and some scriptures and stuff, because truly, fr- uh, Friday night, I was laid in bed, and I was sitting there with my iPad, and I was, I was listening to some stuff, and I'm thinking, God, what is it you want me to speak about this morning? I know it's about recovering from the disasters of life and stuff like that, but what specifically? And then I remembered something I'd listened to a couple of months ago when Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, came back for the first time after three-month time period of time off from his son committing suicide. And he shared a message that just touched my heart, and then he shared a whole series. And if you want to go online, you can get it for free and go online and listen to the whole series. But it's, it was an amazing thing. And so I got there and I listened to that on, on Friday night. And I'm going, you know, that's exactly some of the things that God is needs, we need to hear right now. So I unashamedly am borrowing Rick Warren's outline, okay? So uh, just to let you know, that's where it came from. And that's what's in your bulletin this morning if you want to talk about that. I call it this morning, though, I call it this, uh, lessons we've learned this week. And I loved, there was a, on, on Facebook and other places, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff. You've watched videos, you've watched pictures, you've read stories. Um, read blogs, but one person in particular, I don't know this young man, but his name's Kirk Johnson, and he put this thing on there. I thought it was so cool. He said, 12 random things that I learned since 1117, I learned since then. He says, and this guy lives in Washington. I don't know how much damage, but I think his home was destroyed. 
But he says this, if you, the 12 things he said I've learned. Number one, if you ever wonder whether you should go help someone, just go. Number one. Number two, personally, I like to, uh, I like to give more than I like to receive. I think everyone does. Number three, he says this, when FEMA and CNN come to town, it probably isn't good. He has a sense of humor, okay? Uh, and somebody underneath that wrote, if the governor comes to town too, that's probably not good either. But anyway, um, that was a political statement. But anyway, um, number four, hotel, <laughs> this is number four, hotels are not as fun when you're living in them as they were when you were a child just visiting. Number five, he says, says this, women's deodorant is much more fragrant and smells, the smell lasts a lot longer than men's deodorant. I learned that on day one and I hope to never lose my deodorant again. I thought that was great. This guy's got, I like to meet this guy. He works at Uftering. He works with one of our church members uh, who lost his, or had damaged his house as well. Number six, real-life heroes show up, sometime, or show up during the times of disaster. Policemen, firemen, babysitters, Air National Guard, reservists, power line workers, and more. Too numerous to mention. Number seven, this is a, a lesson that I've heard from tons of people over in that area. Number seven. You truly only need about 10% of the material possessions that you own. Number eight, 30 people can move all of your possessions in no time, especially if you don't have much. Number nine, you need 100% of the family that you have. And I, I, I wish I'd, if I'd have wrote this, I'd put even the ones you don't like. Number 10, it's nice to be the recipient of random acts of kindness. We had our dinner brought for us and our six neighbors and ourselves tonight by a complete stranger. He says, I will definitely pay that forward to let someone else feel the same thing that we felt tonight. And I've seen that happening over and over and over and over again this week. Just totally random strangers just coming up and doing stuff for people. Uh, I mean, ex- ex- amazing things. Number 11, adversity brings people together. I live in Germantown Hills, okay? But I'm a Washington fan now, unashamedly. And I hope, and I, let me tell you, if you watched the game yesterday, I was rooting hard for Washington. I'm sorry they lost. After I saw Sacred Heart, though, I would understand why. They got like 50 pro po- prospects on their team. But uh, poor Washington, they had to play a pro team. Uh, but uh, the deal is that they played well, though. But, I mean, the thing wasn't about it. But you looked at the game and it showed in the stands. You know who was in the stands? There was people from kids with metamorphic letter jackets. There was people from East Peoria. There was people from all over this region that was there cheering for Washington. I hope we don't lose sight of that in the future. Because it's not about where we go to school. It's not about where we live. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are being the church right now more than we've ever been the church, ever. And he said the last thing he said, I learned is this, friends and family are the best possessions that you could have. I like that. That was, I don't, I don't met, never met this young man, but I don't know if he's young or not. I guess he is. Uh, but he's probably younger than me. But uh, I was just appreciate what he had to say. Let me just share with you a few things really quickly this morning. I know we don't have a ton of time. But I want to share with you some things that I think are important. And I thought of so many passages of Scripture this week, and, and, and one came to mind out of Philippians 4, but I was going to share that, and I said, no, nah, that's, that's for a later time. And then I thought about, when I was listening to Rick Warren, I thought about the passage he talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So if you have a Bible this morning, you might well turn to that. Or if you don't, if you have a bulletin, it, there's a, all these per- verses are in the outline and the bulletin as well this morning, and we can look at that as well. Because this is, this is interesting, because this verse... 
I have done almost 300 funerals in my ministry career. And I've used parts of these verses at funerals, especially the first two or three verses. I cannot tell you how many countless times at funerals. But it fits not only in funerals, but in times like this as well. So let me just read this, and then I want to talk about three things we can learn from this. I think that things that I've learned, and I hope that we can learn from this in this time uh, that we're in right now. Number, uh, let's, just, let's just read this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. You see what it says? It says, he, he says God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've received from God. Then he says this, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's it's for your salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. And then this is the key verse, uh, the key verse in here today I want to focus on. He says this, Our hope for you is firm because we know, because we know that just as you shared in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And then he says this, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we've suffered. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us, and we've set our hope on him, that, that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks to God for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to your many prayers. Three phrases in that one verse in the middle there just stood out to me. And as, and as I read this, it says, it says this, our hope is firm because we know. Our f- hope is firm because we know. What I want to tell you this morning is this. I want to say to you is that what you know is what gets you through life, through the storms of life. What you know. What do you know? What do you trust in? What do you, what do you base your life on? What do you know? Not what you just hope about, but what do you know? What, and it's different. You may not actually tangibly be able to grasp, but it's something you're going like, I know this is true. Because if you don't know the right things, when the storms of life come, you're going to fall over. You will. You're going to cave in. You're going to crumble. And when the great tragedies and losses of life, which are inevitable, come into our life, then what happens is if you don't know the right truths, you're not going to stand strong spiritually or, or in life. What you know is what gets you through. I mean, the question that I've heard more and more this week as I've talked to people and people have come by the office and said, Pastor, can I talk to you and, and listen to them and just share the, the questions is this, how do we get through this? How do we get through this? I mean, how do we get through this time? None of us have a frame of reference for what's happened. I've not met one person that says, well, I'm experienced in, in a tornado after, you know, what's going on. Not this kind of level. I mean, we've had stuff close by. We've had some devastation. But not one person has come to me and said, how, you know, I, I know what to do. See, how do you get through this? The answer is because, because of what you know. But see, because if, if you're here this morning and you're, you're seeking God in your life, your lives are not built on the shifting sands of popularity and popular culture, which changes every month, but our lives are built on a solid bedrock truth of God's word and what he has to say to us. Today, I just want to mention three of those truths, three things that, that really stand out, I believe, in this time. And I don't like to say this as your pastor, but I love you, and so I just want to say it anyway. You know, this is horrible what's happened right now, right? Horrible. 
But bad stuff happens in life. You know, it says in Matthew 5 that the rains fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Doesn't mean God causes the things to happen, but because of sin in the world, we're going to talk about it in a minute, because of that happens in the world, so many things happen to good people and bad people alike. And so I think there's three things that we, and there's many things we could know, but I'm going to share with you this morning, how do you get through what you're going through? Number one, number one, we know that life doesn't make sense. Anybody agree that life doesn't make sense, especially after this week? Life doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense, but we know we can have peace because we know God is with us and he loves us. God is with us and he loves us. For those who are in Christ, we know that. He is with us and he loves us. I mean, you've noticed that life is often confusing. There's lots, a lot more questions than answers. And there are a lot of unanswered questions. The truth is that we simply don't know why things happen the way they do. I mean, this week people have said to me things like, you know, I just don't know. I mean, why, why is my house gone? And then I've had somebody down the street whose house is still there a half a block away having almost survivor's guilt. <laughs> it's what it's called. It's like, why did, did these friends of mine get their house destroyed and mine's still there? You know, there's all those questions. And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. Why is this happening to me? Why? Why? See, I really believe this is true. We're not going to know on this side of eternity the answer to some of those questions. We're just not going to know. Life does not make sense when you look at it. Bad people prosper, good people suffer, all kinds of things happen. And, and as I looked at what people are going through, I could see, I've seen stages of, of six stages of, of, uh, of reaction to the loss that's going on. And, and I think everybody goes through these. Let me just mention them and see where you are right now. now some of you have been directly uh, focus, uh, affected by this. Others have not. But here's the stages, what I call the six stages of loss. Number one is the stage of shock. I mean, Sunday afternoon, all I can say is a shock. When we got out of church here and we were those in second service, and we got out of the bathrooms and the phone calls started coming. You know, we thought we went in the bathrooms. Okay, it's another tornado drill. I had people going like, I've been through this before, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm going like, well, you know. And then we started getting calls, and it's realities happening all around us, right? And it was a real thing. And then we started hearing stuff. And so some of the friends here at church that lived in Washington, we said, let us know what we can do. Let us, let us know. And so we didn't know how damaging it was. We thought it was just another small, you know, touchdown, take off like it's happened before. And then for an hour, nobody calls. And I'm going, what's going on? And so finally, we get, we get an email or a text from one of our friends, Robin Susie Brown, who live over in Devonshire. And, De and, and Susie said, this is her text, house devastated. So Vicki and I said, let's go. We got in the car, it took us an hour to get over there. Finally got over into Trail's Edge, parked at the Micklick's house, saw their house, went to, walked around for two and a half hours, walked all over the place. But all I can say at that point, it was shock. How in the world did this happen? Shock. That was the first stage we all go through when shock. The second stage is sorrow. Sorrow. We move from shock to sorrow. And you begin to grieve. Grieving is, is a process. No, sorrow, sorrow is a godly emotion. Shock is a purely human thing. God is never shocked. God never says, I didn't see that coming. God's never said that. 
But the Bible says sorrow is a godly emotion. The Bible says that God grieves. The only reason we're able to grieve is because we're made in the image of God. The Bible says that Jesus wept. The Bible also says that Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. He understands sorrow. Grieving is a good thing. Grieving is the way we get through the transitions of life. So you move from shock to sorrow. And the third stage is struggle. Struggle. The struggle stage is where you begin to ask the questions. Why? 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 Why does this happen? Why did it happen the way it did? And as I've already shared, you're not going to get the answers to many of the whys this side of heaven. Even Jesus asked the why question. You remember on the cross? He said, or, uh, uh, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why? Jesus asked the why question. See, we don't always know what's going on at that moment, but it's okay to ask the why question. See, the test of our faith is, is what you do when you don't get the answer. And for many of the questions of life, we're not going to get the answer. The fourth st- phase, once you get out of the struggle, is you get into a place where you simply say, okay, I don't know the answer, but it's, I call it the surrender stage. The surrender, stage. surrender is where you stop asking and you start submitting to God and start surrendering and start accepting. You say, and let me tell you that it's, it's not like being fatalistic. It's basically what it is. It's just coming to the place of saying, God, I can't know the answer, but I'll trust you anyway. Surrender is the place, is the path to peace. You just say, you don't know what, I don't know what it's going to happen. I'm going to give it up to you, God, anyway. And then there, the fifth stage is, there's six stages. The fifth stage is, is a big Bible word we don't use very often, but I call it sanctification. Sanctification is when God starts bringing good out of the bad. When God starts making changes in you, when your personality, when your character starts being transformed by the disaster, when, when, when God makes you more godly. Now, you're not never going to be God, not even a mini-me God. It's just not going to happen. But you can become more godly. You can become more like God in your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your gentleness, your goodness, your faithfulness, all these qualities, the fruit of the Spirit. And then once God begins to work in you that way, guess what happens next? Now I've seen this happen. I've seen all these stages this week. The last stage is God places you to a place after he gets you through all that, the place of service. And service is where God get you to the place where God takes the pain that you're going through and he turns it around and uses it as a tool to help others. You know, I, I, I was over, I've heard stories and I haven't seen this yet, but there's a guy over at Five Points. I don't know if he's still there or not. I guess he's still there. He's over there. You know where he came from? He came from New Orleans. He was in Katrina. He was, his, his, his business was destroyed in Katrina. And he came up here and he's cooking chili. He's been cooking chili for four or five days now. He's feeding anybody that shows up over there. He's cooking chili. Why? Because he says he, he understands what people are going through, the disaster. And he came to help. I heard of a story, another story, where a guy that's, uh, that's uh, uh, I don't know what uh, uh, government position he's in, but one of the guys in the government positions in the Philippines calls the mayor of, of, of Washington and says, how can we help? Do you all remember what's going on in the Philippines right now? You know, five million people, I think, something like that. <laughs> what, is, what is the guy in the Philippines? I mean, because he understands. His, the, the disaster has turned his mind. He's, he wants to help people. 
I think one of the outcomes of this is going to be this, if we allow it to happen. God is going to, t- going to take us through all those stages to a place of service, and then we'll be a community that wants to serve others even greater than we've ever wanted to before. See, your ministry comes out of your pain. And I want, what I want you to get today is this one concept. No matter what stage you're in, you're not in it by yourself. You're not alone. God is with you and God loves you. And we can know that. That's why we can have peace even when life doesn't make sense because God is with me and God loves me. You know, there's over 6,000 promises in Scripture. Over 6,000. And we're going to cover them all this morning. No, we're not. But let me give you a couple of them. Isaiah 43, 2 says this. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned up. It will not consume you. Why? Because when in pain, explanation. You know, so often when you're in pain, you think if I just know why, it'll help. Explanations don't help when you're in pain. It, they don't help. I mean, if somebody told you the reason, you know, your house was destroyed or your house was saved, was it going to help the fact that they're destroyed or not? No, it's not going to help. You don't need an explanation. You need God. You need the comfort of God in your life to know that he's there through whatever you're going through. You know, one day you're going to understand why everything happens, but right now our brain, my brain and your brain, is not big enough to understand everything. God has not promised to give you an explanation for why everything happens in this world, but he has promised you're not going to go through anything on your own. Another promise of God, look at this verse, Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. He says this over and over again from Genesis to the end of the Bible. It's all in scriptures. God says, I will never abandon you. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. I, I love this little analogy here. He says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast or the child she was born to? I mean, is a nursing mother just going to forget she has a baby there? No, obviously not. Then he says this, even if that were possible, I will never forget you. Look, I have engraved you on the palms of of my hand. You know, some people get tattoos to remember stuff they wish they hadn't later on. You know, some girlfriend, you know, and they don't get married to him, they have a tattoo, you know, whatever. God says, God says, Jesus says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And where did he get that tattoo? On the cross. And he has it in his, the palms of his hands and in his feet and on his side. You know, I thought about that. You know, the only, the only person in heaven is going to have scars is going to be Jesus. Because it says everything is going to be removed from our lives. But Jesus, God does it because he wants to remember. He, he says, I do it so I can remember what I've done for you, how much I love you. I love you this much. And so we need to understand that God, you know, we're not alone through this. That's number one. Number two. A second truth that I've learned this week, and I hope we all have learned, is everything on earth is broken. But we can still have joy because we know God is good and he's got a greater plan. The fact is this, since sin and evil entered the world, the world has been messed up. And nothing on this planet anymore is perfect. Everything on the planet is broken. Nothing works perfectly. The weather doesn't work perfectly. 
We have tornadoes and we have earthquakes and we have fires and floods and all kinds of things that go on. You know, God didn't want it that way. Remember when God first created the world? He created the Garden of Eden. What, what was it like in the Garden of Eden? It was perfect. Then what happened? Sin comes in. And from then on, everything is broken. It broke the weather. It broke the climate. The economy doesn't work perfectly. None of your plans work per- perfectly. Have you noticed that? I mean, how, how many of you have set, a, set an agenda last week and everything has worked perfectly the way you thought it was going to this week? Not, probably none of us. But even in a kind of a disaster, I mean, in a regular week, it never happens that way. Your body doesn't work perfectly. Anybody want to say amen to that? I was like, thank you, John and I go, okay, yeah, <laughs> because we're old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but I don't care who, what age you are, I found, found out it doesn't work perfectly. No relationship works perfectly, right? I get a testimony to that. I mean, no matter how much you love somebody, there's always, nothing works perfectly. If everything is broken, then how can we have joy? Because, and, and the reason is this, because we know God is good and because we know that he has a better purpose and a greater plan. You know, Romans eight twenty eight is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, but it's also one of the most misunderstood verses sometimes. It says this, But we know that in all things, and, it, and it, what, all th- what does all things include? Everything. He says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. This is limited, though. It says, in all things, God works for the good for those who love him. If you don't love him, you know, you know, it's real easy. Anybody can bring good out of good, right? Anybody can do that. Only God specializes in bringing good out of bad. And he says, I'm going to do that for anything that comes in your life if you love me. doesn't mean bad won't happen to you, but it means that God is going to take it and turn it around if you'll let him to take you to these stages, stages of, 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 of loss in our life. And he's going to turn it around. Notice what it doesn't say in that verse. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. It doesn't say that. It says that all things God, in, in all things, God works for the good. It doesn't say that it's all good. There's a lot of bad stuff in the world. There's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of just horrible stuff in this world. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. There's a lot of bad stuff. It doesn't even say that everything that happens is God's will. And I've heard this so many times. I've been to funerals and somebody will say, well, you know, it must have been God's will that that happened. And I'm going like, bull! Where is the one place? Is there any place on this earth that God's will is done perfectly? No. You know, that's why Jesus told us when we pray, he says, pray. What was one of the things that Jesus told us to pray? You remember that? Lord's Prayer? His will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. So nothing is done here on this, you know, on this earth. The only place that God's will is done perfectly is in heaven. We hope it gets done here, but rarely does it get done here on this earth. And so things are messed up, and it says, and, and that's what happened. But God says, I'm going to take on this earth, I will do this for you. I'll promise this to you, that even in the bad stuff, even in the tornadoes and the destruction and all the stuff, God says, for those who love me, I'm going to help you to get you through there. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through that. And then I'm going to help you to turn it around for something good. 
Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. But we just trust God for what he says. See, not everything on this planet is God's will. I've been, it, you know, I've been through that. You, know, you need to understand that you have an enemy on this planet. You know that? This is not neutral ground. His name is Satan, and Satan is not our friend. In fact, the Bible says he has come to kill and destroy. And he wants to destroy your life. Why? Because he hates God. And Satan cannot hurt God. God cannot be hurt like that. So what happens? He does what, you know, I don't know about you, but he tries to hurt God's children to hurt God. If you want to hurt me, hurt my children. And so that's what Satan does. Satan wants to destroy our life. He wants to mess our life up. He wants to give, uh, keep you away from God because he makes God, that makes God grieve when we turn away from God. But this is what it says in Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says this. We can have joy even in our troubles. Do you know what it said? We can have joy even in our troubles because we know. Because we know. There's that verse. There's that word words again. Because we know. These troubles produce endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God has poured his love to fill our hearts. It's because of what we know. Because we know that joy is still present, God says, I can turn it around. And from that character comes hope and joy and even from the difficulties of life. So the last point is this. The last point is this. Wrap up here. Life is a battle. Would you agree with that? Life is a battle. Life is a battle, but we can have hope because we know that there is more to the story. We can know that there's more to the story. What do you do? What do you do in a time like this? What do we do when hope doesn't turn out the way we're expecting it to? You ever had hope not turn out the way you expected it to? Yeah. There's lots of things I've hoped to happen. It's not turned out the way I expected it to. We've got a couple of options when things don't turn out the way we expect them to. One of them is we can do is we can curse God. We can give up on God. That's one of our options. It truly is an option that we can have. You can say God is a fake and a phony and he's a tease, or you can give God an out. There's another option, though. You can give God an out, and you can take all the blame on yourself. It was My faith wasn't strong enough. If I'd been a better Christian, I'd been a better, better father or mother, if I'd been a better whatever, if I'd have had more faith, my house would still be there. That is not an option, folks. Okay, I've heard people say stuff like that. Not this week, but before. See, neither of those responses, cursing God or blaming it all upon yourself because, see, God, that's one of the things I heard this week so often, you know, and, and, and I think it's bad theology. I understand why people say stuff like this. They're going like, they're trying to explain, ask the question why so many people were saved. If you've been over there, it's amazing to me that no more people weren't killed. It's just, it's beyond belief that, that, that there was only one person that died locally. And I've heard people say, well, you know, and, and somebody asked Gary Manier, the mayor of, uh, of Washington, you know, why do you think? He said, well, I think they listened to the sirens. And then he said this, which I think it's, it's, it's a good thought, but I'm not sure it's great theology. He said, you know, they, they probably, one of the reasons is because they were where I was, I was in church. Because you was in, and it's, that means if it's in church that you were blessed and because you did that. And then, folks, God loves everybody equally. You don't earn favor with God because of what you do by being in church this morning. If you think you're getting brownie points for being in church, Sorry. Hate to burst your bubble. But God loved you just as much before you came and after you came. And, and no matter how much you do it, God wants you to love him because you love him. And he, he loves you the same all the time. 
But because He has this unconditional love for us, see, the thing we need to understand is that life is a battle, but we know that there's more to the story. God loves us and He wants the best in our life, but we live in a broken world and so we have to deal with that. See, sometimes all we're left with is a big fat mystery. But for the person in Christ, let me just be honest with you, I'm content to leave it there because one day I know that I'll meet God face to face and every one of those mysteries will be solved. But in the meantime, I just got to trust that he has a purpose and a plan and it's part of the bigger story. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians 4? It says this, and this is in a couple of verses put together. It says, we often suffer, but we're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. And when we are knocked down, we get up again. And then he says this in verse 14. Because we know that God raised the Lord back to life, and just as he raised Jesus, he will also raise us back to life and will bring us into his presence together. God is still the God of the Red Sea. He still parts the waters. He still has... He, he, he still allows us to walk across on dry land. He still heals. He still redeems. He still restores. He still revitalizes the ruins of our life. That is God. And I beg you to have hope in that God. That's why I believe that believers, even in this process, process things differently than non-believers. That's why believers grieve differently than non-believers. We see the world differently. We grieve with hope because we know that the end of the we know the end of the story. Now, let me tell you, I know the diff, that difference that that makes because as a pastor, I've done funeral after funeral of people who didn't have any hope, and I've looked into the faces and the eyes of people who don't have a relationship with Christ and who don't have the hope of heaven, who don't know what we know, what we've learned, and the fear and the panic and the hopelessness in the eyes of these people causes them to be crushed. But see, we as believers can, can grieve in the losses that we have this week with hope. To live with hope in a life of pain, in a life of pain, and by the way, I'm sorry to say this to you, it's going to be more pain in our life, and hopefully never this again, okay? Hopefully never this again. But pain comes in our life up and down because we live in this broken world. But the thing is, is we have to have a bigger perspective to realize that there's going to be another day. Yeah, it's going to take a while to recover. It's going to take a while. And there's going to be a lot. That's why I'm saying this is a marathon. This is not a sprint, folks. And so people are going to need encouragement and help. And many of you have helped in miraculous ways. You're doing it. You continue to do it. I mean, many people have families living in their homes long term. And many of you have come to me and said, I'll do this. What, are, what can I do? Just... Just be there for people and listen to them and help them along the way. And if you're one of those people, allow people to help you. Second Corinthians 4.18 says this, So we don't focus on the troubles we see right now. That's hard to do, right? Don't focus on the troubles we see right now. I mean, it's right now in our face. That's what we want to do. But then he says this, Instead, we look forward to what we don't see yet. For the troubles we see now are temporary. We know that, right? No matter how hard it is, it's temporary. But the joys to come will last forever. 
Those are some lessons that I've learned this week, and I hope it's lessons that we can all learn. God is still God. He loves us. And there's some things about him that we can know. And what we know will sustain us in life. What do you know? Do you know Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him as the one you can turn to in time of need when everything else falls apart? Is, is he the God that when things don't work the way, the hopes don't turn out the way you want them to, that you curse? Is the one that you, or do you blame yourself? Or do, or do you say, God, you know, I don't get this, but I'm going to trust you anyway that your promises are true. All 6,000 of them. What do you know? Because what you know will sustain you in your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.